I'm sure everyone is has been watching the news and seeing what's gone on in uh, Japan and with the earthquake and the tsunami and all of that. And so, um, are there any anybody here that has anybody that's been affected? You know anybody in Japan that's? So there are some people, yeah. Um, so I like to pray. Just you know, there's people that are still missing, and obviously families have been broken and torn apart. And just I really <clears throat> want us to be thinking about this and praying for these people out there. So let's pray together as we launch in. Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you directly through your Son, Christ. And Lord, we, we ask you right now, God, for the ability to focus. Lord, we set our hearts before you and we ask you to speak to us, Lord. We ask that you prevent anything, Lord, from being able to block our ability to learn from you, God. Um, I lift up the many, many people, God, in Japan and uh, other areas that have been affected through this tsunami and the earthquake, Lord. Just um, you know, over a thousand lives lost and many more missing and just um, <clears throat> sure lots of fear and just pain and hurt. And God, we, we ask you, God, to bring uh, comfort to those people, Lord, and hope to those people out there in Japan. Lord, we pray for the many people that um, that are there, missionaries and um, aid workers that are working to help. And, Lord, we pray that you'd strengthen them, Lord, and that you would, um, you would, in fact, be their strength, Lord, as they try to serve selflessly and sacrificially, Lord, and um, working, you know, long, long, long hours into the evenings, Lord, trying to just do what they can to save people and to um, provide hope. Lord, we pray for your gospel, your message to, to go forth in that area as well, Lord, that many, many people would find you in this time, Lord, and they would discover true hope, Lord, in Jesus and God, we just um, we look to you, God. When we see things like this happen, Lord, we it shakes us to the core, and we we need to turn to you, God. Thank you that you are a loving God. You're sovereign over all the events of the universe, Lord, and we trust you, God, even with this. We, we do ask you to speak to us right now, God. Pray you quiet our hearts, our minds, Lord. You brought us here to hear from you, and so God, I pray that you would, Lord, help us not to. Um, to miss things, God, that you want to say to us personally today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I am glad to see everybody here. I know time changed. We lost an hour, and so when I got up, it was, you know, nice and dark, and I thought, oh, good, it's probably like four, and it was not. <laughs> it was time to get up, <laughs> and so I got up. But I'm, I'm glad you got up, too, and you made your way down here. Um, Many of you know this, I grew up in a pastor's home. Uh, my father has been in ministry pretty much as long as I've been alive. And um, I had really no intention of going this route, of following in his footsteps. I actually really didn't want to go this route and wanted to go a totally different route, much what I thought would be a much safer route, more fun route. And uh, the Lord redirected my life when I was 18, and here I am now. And, uh, but growing up in my dad's home was a really unique experience as a kid, a lot of what our family did um, made very little sense to me. It just didn't make sense. The choices my parents made just didn't make a whole lot of sense. Why would you do some of the things that he, my parents did as, as ministers, as people doing ministry? If for a young person, even as a teenager, I just would sometimes scratch my head. And um, there's a verse I want to show. It's up here on the slide. It's Hebrews 13:2, And it, it basically captures a verse that is really, uh, or an idea that's precious to my parents. It's this. It's Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, 
For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Growing up in, in a pastor's home, this was something that my parents did. They entertained strangers. They, they were hospitable people. Um, they were loving of guests. The word hospitality, which comes out in this verse, literally means loving of strangers or loving towards strangers, love towards strangers. And, and even aliens, the passage literally is more has that sense of loving to aliens, people from the outside, not necessarily from other planets, but people from outside of our world. Um, well, my parents, they had this kind of understanding in their life where they just made room in their lives for other people. It wasn't just about my parents and our kids, but they opened the doors of, of our home and our lives to many, many people through the years. And uh, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Sometimes we would go on a trip together, and my dad and I would often take trips, and we'd, tr- we'd go visit um, his parents in San Jose. We were, I was... Uh, in Pismo Beach, and we would play tennis at as many tennis courts as we could on the way up the coast. You know, we'd play a set, and then we'd go, and we'd hit another town, and we'd find another town, and we'd just drive around until we could find a tennis court. We'd play another set, drive to the next town, play another set. We'd do this, and it would take us all day to get to uh, San Jose. And this is just a fun thing we did together, a great memory that I have. But one trip, you know, that was what I had in mind, and we set out to make this journey, and uh, along the freeway entrance was a hitchhiker as we're about to get on the road and, and my dad pulls off and starts talking to the guy and comes back and says, we're taking this guy up to San Jose with us. It's like a three and a half hour drive. And, okay. And this was kind of normal for us. And so I wasn't totally caught off guard, but it messed up my tennis plans. I had to really get past that because this guy was on his way up there and my dad said, let's just go. We'll, we'll, we'll work out our plans when we get up there. And... Uh, Things like that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Dad, why, we don't know this guy. Is he going to hurt us? Is he going to kill us? Is he going to beat us up? Is he going to take our car? How do we know we're going to... He just did these things sometimes. My dad, you know, and in, on the course of the journey, he would start sharing with them. If God allowed an opportunity, he'd share about his faith in Christ and just share with them things that were precious to him, trying to offer hope to these people. And this would happen um, in the course of growing up. I've shared this before. Sometimes it wasn't uncommon for me as a kid to come home from school, to come into my room and to see all the stuff of some family and suitcases, even children playing in my room. And then I'd realize it's not my room for a while. <laughs> Go find out who's here now. And parents were very open. They would allow people to come in. Sometimes people we knew, sometimes it was people we knew very little, which to some of you, you're like, that's crazy. Why would, you know, how unsafe and... That was my parents. They were very loving people. They were, they were loving to those who needed help, especially caring people. And you know what was amazing? As they made room in their life for other people, God provided for us. God always met our needs. It was just amazing to see how he did. One time our house got caught on fire. We, had to, um, we didn't, couldn't be in our house for over a month. God provided for that. It was like... Doors were open for us to be provided for because God was faithful. As we were, as my parents were stepping out in faith, trusting Him, and, you know, God provided for us along the way. That whole journey of growing up in, in my family made a profound mark on my life. Just being a part of a family that was open to people, open to people who weren't like us even. Even those who were far from God. That just made a profound mark on, on who I believe I am now. And, Later on in my life, um, I met my mentor, Pastor Randy Lanthrop. You've 
Some of you have heard him before. He's shared here a few times in the past. But we moved as a married couple, a young married couple, my wife and I. Right when we finished college, we moved from Riverside. We graduated Cal Baptist. We moved from Riverside to Diamond Bar. And we moved there because I wanted to learn specifically from that guy. I wanted to learn. I wanted to get trained by him. Um, I was a religion major at CBU. And after you're done with a degree in anything, but especially a degree in ministry, you're stuffed so full of, of information and, and knowledge. Now you need someone to kind of shake you up a little bit and help you understand how life really works. You need someone who's in the trenches of ministry. And for someone going into ministry, that was really valuable. I didn't want to just have all this stuff stuffed in here and then try to go and, and talk about that. But I wanted to get under authority of someone who, who was doing that, who was leading a church and wanted to learn from them. So we moved out there and... Through the course of these eight years of being at that church, um, serving under this pastor, um, I learned a tremendous amount of things about loving people, about laying down um, our stuff and our, our agenda, our priorities for the sake of other people. Uh, most importantly, I learned just how important people who are far from God are, just how precious people are that don't know the Lord. Because I saw Pastor Randy over there. I saw him just welcome people into his life and just, you know, begin to invest time in helping others, adults especially, come to know him. And uh, when, when it came time that we left Dimebar to come plant this church in Riverside, which is what we sense God was sending us to do to start a new church out here, just our family, uh, three other family units came out here to start. We were driving down the road and um, he would share these different things with me. We'd be driving and he'd take some time and he'd just kind of encourage me and challenge me about what, what lo- was about to what lied ahead or what lay ahead? I don't know what the phrase is I'm looking for, but he often quoted this verse to me. And it's going to be up on the screen. This is from Paul, one of the most famous church planners. Who He planted a church in Ephesus, and at this church he was saying goodbye, he was saying farewell to them. And this is from a statement about his life purpose from his farewell speech to this church. It's in Acts chapter 20. It says this, and I really think this should be the life verse of anybody who's planning to go into church planting. Because this is real accurate of what you plan to expect. It says this, Paul said, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I thought this thought, and Randy communicated things like this to me. You don't know what it's going to be like when you move from Dime Bar back to Riverside. You don't know what your life is going to be like. The verse goes on and says, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So Paul is saying, look, he's saying goodbye to this church that he loved. He spent a few years with. He's saying goodbye. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know what I'm about to face. I only know that trouble, opposition, hard times are coming. But he says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me What that literally says is none of these things move me. He's saying the hardship, the trouble, the things I'm about to head into, none of those things move me. I'm not going to let that shake me. I'm not going to let that cause me to shrink back. None of that moves me. If only I may finish the race, complete the task. He's just very focused on the mission of helping people come to know Jesus Christ. And what I saw in Diamond Bar with our pastor there was time and time again, he and his wife would walk through very, very hard times and they would never grab for glory. They would never try to take glory. 
and lift themselves up. They allowed God to lift them up. They modeled humility for us. Over and over I would see them give of their own possessions and resources to advance the work that God was doing there. And uh, he just he modeled faithfulness in ministry over time. My wife and I were talking about this, how faithful they had been through the years to serve and to lay down their life for the sake of the gospel. And I remember when we were driving, he took this verse and he, he said, Josh, you're about to head to Riverside and it's going to be tough. And just and he, he, he drew this from this passage. You're about to head to Riverside. It's going to be tough. I don't know what's going to happen there. I only know that my journey hasn't been easy. But God is faithful, so stay faithful to what He's called you to. And He would usually do this, and He'd be sobbing through the whole thing, and usually it would break me down a little bit too. I'm pretty, I'm not the most sensitive guy, but He can get me to cry. And uh, but His life and the life of my father, they, these these men have made a profound mark on my life. They have laid down their lives, and they've brought me along in that journey still alongside them. They still walk alongside me now. And I'm sure that there are many of you here that have very similar stories where you can think about, you know, there's been some faith heroes in my life, some people who've come alongside me that God has used their story to challenge you and even to just thrust your faith forward at times when it needed a a push, a nudge, a kick even. That's how I really want to wrap up this message series. As we looked at bold moves the last few weeks, I want to look at this fact, and this is in your outline if you like to follow along. It says this, Our legacy of faith is a catalyst to inspire the faith of others. The faith that we have, the, the, the heritage that we're laying down, that can be a catalyst for future people, children, generations of people that we come alongside that will be challenged and just thrust forward to, to learn to trust God just as I have learned from those who have come before me and just as we're learning right now and People will learn from those who, from our faith heritage that we're laying down right now. Our faith, though, it has a very long tradition of heroes. We've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11. And at the end of Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews 10 ends with this thought. You'll see it on the screen. It says, We are not, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and have faith. Or, I'm sorry, and are saved. This is our heritage. He's saying our heritage, the Christian faith, is made up of those people who don't shrink back, who pull back when there's opposition or hard times or difficulty or criticism or challenge, but they move forward in faith, boldly. We've been looking at this Hebrews 11 idea, and Hebrews 11, um, it, it, it's one of the chapters in the Bible that just is intended to cheer us on, to motivate us, to keep going, to press forward. If you're at a point and you, you decided to walk with Christ and you just need a nudge, Read Hebrews 11. Read it and, and see how God will speak to you and just nudge you forward in your own personal faith. But we've been looking at these different stories in Hebrews 11. We looked at, <clears throat> we looked at Abel. We looked at Enoch. We looked at Noah, Abraham. We talked briefly about Joshua last week. And just these different people who have laid this foundation for us to stand upon. And one of the most influential preachers, when he looks at Hebrews 11, Charles Spurgeon, one of the guys that... Um, he was like the first mega church pastor, if there was such a thing. But he'd spoken to about 10 million people in his lifetime. He preached at the same church for 38 years. And he just had a legacy, this history of being faithful in, in his ministry. And he calls Hebrews 11, 
the Ark of Triumph. And if you're familiar with it, here's a picture of the Ark of Triumph. And this is in Paris. And it honors those who died, who fought and died. Right? If you, if you, anybody seen this? Looks pretty. So I trust you guys. But it honors those. Charles Spurgeon, he said, this chapter in the Bible is kind of like this monument. It honors those who fought and died for France in the revolutionary, the French Revolutionary War and the Napoleonic Wars. And what it does is it kind of reenacts some of the heroes, and so people in that country could be inspired about their history. And Charles Spurgeon, that preacher, he's saying this chapter is very much like a monument for our faith. We're to look at the chapter and we're to be thrust forward, to be inspired, to press on with God. And so I want to look briefly at this last portion of. Hebrews chapter 11, looking verse at verses 32 through, uh, through verse 40. I'm going to read it in its entirety and then I kind of go back through it together. So it says this in verse 32. He just got talk, done talking about uh, the walls of Jericho fell. We looked at that last week. Verse 32, though, it says, What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, about Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministers justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while others still were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. Now, these are the heroes. These are the heroes. These, these are the guys that, that were approved. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Verse 39 says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them gained, I'm sorry, none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So, we get this final summary of this chapter, the the chapter of faith. And I just want to touch on a few thoughts. The first one is this. Faith lays a monumental foundation. Men of faith especially, men and women of faith, that, that lays a monumental foundation for us. And that's really what we get in the first few verses of this passage. It says this, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon. He's saying, there's a lot of people I could mention, but I, you know, I'm going to mention these few, but I can't even really tell you about their stories. He just highlights the names. He talks about Gideon, Barak. These are judges from the Old Testament, the book of Judges. Samson, Jephthah. Samuel was another judge, the last judge of Israel before the, the era of the kings. And He's talking about these different judges who God used to deliver His people from Slavery, oppression, um, battle. And God would raise up these judges, which were these really like these spiritual and military leaders that would advance God's people and turn them back to Him after they would decide to do what was wicked in God's eyes. And the judges would come and call people to repentance. They'd lead the people. And God would deliver His people through these leaders. David was a man who was the king of of Israel, the second king of Israel, but most known, I think the faith that they're referring to here is just when he stood up before a giant, a giant man that nobody would would fight, and David stands up, fights this giant, and uh, knocks him out with a sling and stone. And I mean, just this impossible feat 
and he steps up and says, I'll, I'll fight for the Lord. And these different characters come up, and this is like monument for us. This is like that arch of triumph for us, these, these people. God is wanting to burn these stories and these images in our minds so that we will be inspired to, to keep going, to not give up, to not shrink back. Because that's what Hebrews 10 says. We're not like those who shrink back and are destroyed. You know, we have different people who invest in our lives, different mentors, but the Scripture gives us these dead people who, who can still be our mentors in life. They're, they're no longer living, but they, they sure have some stories that, that can inspire us to move on. Also in these verses, we can discover this. The second thing is faith does not always bring about immediate deliverance, which is pretty scary. If I choose faith, if I choose to take bold steps forward in life, doesn't mean I'm always going to be immediately delivered from harm and trouble. Hebrews 11.35, the second part of that verse, starts with the word others. So it says, you know, there's all this good stuff that happened. All, you know, battles won, people raised from the dead. But then he turns and he says, others, this is the same group, this is, this is still, still people who exercised faith, but the outcome was very different. God did not see fit to deliver them or to deal with them as he had like David and Gideon and Moses where he just did amazing things. This group, says were tortured, refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. These are referring to two prophets, prophet Zechariah, prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was Old Testament prophet. You, read, uh, you can read the book of Jeremiah in the Bible, but he was stoned by one of the kings. And, I'm sorry, yeah, he was stoned by one of the kings. Isaiah, another... Uh, Another prophet was this next character. It says they were sawed in two. Isaiah, the prophet, he was sawed in two. He was fastened. He was fastened to a piece of wood and cut in half along with the piece of wood. Now, he was a man that was commended in this chapter as one who had faith. Doesn't sound like it sounds like he lost the battle. When we read that, man, that didn't work out good for him. And the truth is, faith does not always lead to a trouble-free life. And this group from the surface seems like they've been ripped off. It, it, when we read it, we think, man, they got ripped off. They, they weren't like Moses and David. You know, they were... And the truth is, faith doesn't always mean immediate deliverance. But these people were honored. Look at the next thought here. God honors the faithful so that what appears to be earthly defeat is not real. From our perspective, we think they lost the battle, but God honors them. The world, verse 38 says, the world was not worthy of them. God decided this place isn't worthy for these faithful people. I'm going to take them home. I'll take them to heaven. It's amazing just this, this thought here that God honors the faithful the outcast of society, because that's what many of these were. They were cast out of their society. Some of them were forced to live separate from the rest of the society, hiding in caves, wandering the wilderness, being mistreated. And God says, it's okay, you're outcast there, but I, I'm going to invite you, I'm welcoming you into eternity with Him. God just evaluates on a much different scale than we, than we evaluate upon and what the world evaluates Look at this other thought. Another mark of faith is that faith looks to the future. All these people, they looked, and this is what Hebrews 11 is saying, all these people who live by faith, they looked 
not at the present circumstances or this present world, but they looked down the road to the future. They had their eyes on something that was yet to come. Verse 39 says that. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. And if you skip back earlier in the chapter, chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, it says this. Speaking of some of the earlier, the patriarchs of the faith, it says all these people were still living by faith when they died. So they actually met the Lord at a moment when they had not shrunk back, but they were living by faith till their very last breath. It says they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. See, they're looking for something else. They're not looking to reside here and invest all their energy and time and focus here. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. See, they were longing for heaven. They were looking to the future. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. That's why it says they were commended by God as those who were faithful. They trusted in God even if they didn't get the promises in full in their lifetime. For us, this is a really hard thought because we want typically the comfortable life, don't we? We want heaven on earth, the comfortable life here and now. We're often tempted to just grab all we can and store up for ourselves in this temporary setting, in this temporary place. And what happens, we often lose sight of living for eternity and investing, nailing things down that will make a difference for all eternity because we get so trapped up in this world. These people in, in Hebrews 11, they actually looked, for the, looked towards the future and began to make investments with their life towards the future that they would have with, in eternity with the Lord. Another thought from Hebrews 11 is this, one of the final thoughts from this passage. No one person alone inspires faith. It's not just one person's faith it's not just two people's faith that inspires us, but many people inspire faith in our lives. It's, it's this collective idea of together, we're working together, we're banding together to get things done on this, on this earth, in this lifetime, within our church. Hebrews 11.40 said this about the, the group, God had planned something better for us that, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. See, what, what he's saying is we get to share in the fulfillment of the promises that God made to these heroes of faith. We get to share in that. And it's us and our faith and their faith together that combines together where God is fulfilling His covenant to His people. No one person alone is just, you know, inspiring my faith. But apart from Jesus Christ, you know, He's the only person alone. Hebrews chapter 12 actually points us and says, if you're going to look at someone... Purely look at Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. He's the author. He's the perfecter of our faith. But it's really, it's all of us collectively together that I believe motivate our faith. We can motivate each other's faith. We can encourage each other to press on as we take steps and moves together. I think that's what I'm most excited about this stage in our church life. We're launching this second service, and this has been something that we've been praying about for quite some time, and it is something that... I'm most excited because we get to do it together. And, and I mentioned this to our staff and leadership. And I just, what makes this thrilling is we are doing this together. This isn't one person. This is a church body unified trying to get some things done for all eternity. 
And as we're taking this step, it's a risky step. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be comfortable. And we tend to think, well, just when things were safe and comfortable, we made this move. It was just getting fun. It was just getting to where I started learning people's names. Now, more people, two service times. Jesus, his disciples, actually had that similar thought. They wanted to just kind of have a static ministry environment. Jesus was, in the beginning of his ministry, he called some disciples. He started doing some amazing things. He was teaching, he was healing, he was casting out evil spirits. And there was this long ministry routine that Jesus had. And the disciples that came alongside him, they began to see this routine. And they, were, they thought, okay, this is, I, can, I can run with this. I, it's, it's, if this is how it looks, then uh, we can do this. Jesus, at one point, says he leaves early in the morning, gets up and goes and prays by himself so he can get some time with God because during the day and even into the night, people were pressing in on his life, trying to get his attention, asking him for help and healing. And so he slips off to be by himself to pray. His disciples, they go and find him and they say to him this, they this is Mark 1, 37 through 38. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Because they're thinking, we've got a nice routine. Can we just run things like we did the past few days? Just kind of keep this thing going. We'll keep lining the people up. We'll be in this one place. Let them come to us. And Jesus just kind of, he says this, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also, for that is why I've come. And you can just imagine, if they're anything like us, who so are thinking, oh, just when it all got predictable and... and it worked with my schedule, then uh, Jesus shakes it up a little bit. And he begins to take them on a journey where they were on the move to advance the faith. And this is what God does. He's not, he cannot be just contained in our schedule. He's not going to be uh, put into our agenda, which is a huge challenge for us. This was the same in the Old Testament. Jesus was... I don't have enough time to really go. I actually do have enough time to go, so I'm going to go. <laughs> In Isaiah, um, see, technically I do have enough time to go because we don't have a service, a second service yet. So next week I'll really need to keep it on track. But Jesus' message was... A, was he was offering hope to those who are far from God. I'm actually going to keep this brief because I know you, you all would prefer that too. But, but God's people, and I really could preach another sermon just on this stuff, but Isaiah 52, 53 is a passage that talks about, it's a prophetic passage that talks about Jesus and God was going to send his, a suffering servant, a deliverer for his people who would suffer and die for his people. Scripture says in, in Isaiah 53, and I'm just going to, it's not on the screen, but it says this about this man. It says, he would be despised and rejected by man. This happened, this was written 800 years before Jesus came to earth. This is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. Listen to some of the descriptions here. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Yet we were considered him Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. 
This is all about Christ. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. It's talking about how Christ was led. He was beaten. He was arrested. He was beaten. Unjustly tried. Eventually he was killed. And he took upon himself the sin, our sin. For those of us who have yielded our lives to him, he took that upon himself and he suffered and he died for us so that we would not remain cut off from God. It says, our peace was wrapped up in him going to the cross. He was nailed to the cross so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty ourselves. He took the penalty of our own sin. This was all part of God's plan. This happened 800 years. This was prophesied 800 years before he came. And the very next chapter, when he's promising the Messiah is coming, then you get to Isaiah chapter 54. And you get this idea that because of Jesus Christ coming, the church or God's people would be a much larger group than what they were used to. It wasn't just going to be for the Jewish people, but in Christ, God would make peace with people who had no Jewish background. The Gentiles, non-Jews would be included into God's plan and able to have peace with God, the God of the universe. That's through the work of Christ. And in Isaiah chapter 54, there's this, there's this imagery about how God's church was going to expand. It was going to bust open because of the work of this suffering servant who would allow for us to come to know him so that many, many people could come to know God. In Isaiah 54, you get these words. Isaiah 54, 1 says this, and it's not on the screen. It says, Sing, O barren woman, talking about Israel, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Kind of confusing passage there, but basically saying Christ is going to... Uh, this, this barren Israel is now going to open up. There's going to be the ability for... Reproduction, in a sense, the church is going to open up through the work of Christ. And verse, verse 2 says this, Enlarge the place of your tent. You have this up here. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. goes on to say you're going to spread out to the right and to the left. You're going to dispossess nations. He's basically saying this is going to grow. Through Christ, this movement is going to grow. Because more and more people are going to come to know Him. And so, Isaiah 54, 2, it's, it's saying, look, be prepared for the growth. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch, saying, stretch your tent curtains wide. Don't hold back, meaning, don't try to keep this contained. Don't try to keep this predictable. Lengthen your cords, but strengthen your stakes. See, if a tent is going to handle more people in it, it actually needs stronger stakes, doesn't it? You can fit a bunch of people into a tent, but the more you get in there, you know, you're going to need stronger stakes. So he's saying, make room, but strengthen your stakes. And I really think there's, some, there's something to be said about this, this passage. And even though I've went on this long chase, uh, there's some imagery I wanted to share with you, and that's why I kind of went on that. But the imagery is this, that we are kind of like these stakes. And this tent, that tent he's talking about, is kind of like the church... And it's growing. It's pushing out as God is doing something in Christ. And we are the stakes that need to be strengthened in order to support that kind of growth. If we're going to reach out, then those who are here, those who are invested in what we're doing, need to have a deeper commitment, need to have a stronger stake in the ground. 
So we're actually, I'm going to invite Cody to come up. We're going to do something a little different today. And uh, feel free to participate in this. Feel free not to participate in this. But uh, it's really up to you. And um, it's not going to be anything weird. I promise that. But something hopefully symbolic for us as we look at this, pa- as we've looked at these passages. And maybe some reminder for you to pray as we move forward. Um, but I, I invite you to take a look at these next steps. First one is this, um, and would you consider taking one of these next steps? Um, maybe you'd be willing to take 25, 50, or 100 of those flyers. We've got those flyers in the back, the delete flyers. We actually have a lot of them. We have like 5,000 of them that we printed. And um, at one point, we passed out 4,000 flyers, and that was like 40 people that just said, yeah, I can take some. And uh, we're kind of at one of those points again where we have a lot of these flyers, and we have a real opportunity to get the word out about the launch of this next service as we're making room for people. So would you consider um, taking some, 25 of them maybe, 50 of them, 100 of them, even more? Um, some, some of the children in the past even have gotten involved in this, and so um, one thing I would throw at you is just maybe set up a time, like if you'd want to do this and you're into walking, then uh, call someone who will go walking with you. Grab some flyers and go on your walk and go in pairs and, and, you know, make that even more of a productive time to help uh, communicate what we're doing here. So uh, this is is a request also. It's a next step, but it's also a request. We really would love to get a lot of these out in our community. And so we'll be doing that, my family, this week. I would invite you to be a part of that in some way. Um, These guys are coming up. They're bringing something. Another thing is this. The second thing is invite one, two, or three people to next week's second service launch. If you have somebody in your mind, um, by far our church has been made up of people, many people who've come to faith in Christ. Those people who are far from God. And many of you, you didn't have a relationship with Christ. You came here and you connected with Him. And and so that is our desire is to help more and more people come to know Him. Some people are just waiting for someone to invite them to join something like this. And so I'd encourage you to, to consider writing someone's name down and thinking through who you can invite to this series. Um, next week, just so you know, um, as we get into this new series on words, I'm actually going to have a friend who is um, going to help me with a little comedy routine in the beginning of, this, of the message just to launch the series. And he's going to give... You know, sometimes I show video clips to introduce messages. This would be a little different, but he's going to give a brief 10-minute stand-up routine on, on words and how our words impact others. And I think you'll enjoy it. His name is Joel. I've known him since college. And uh, so I hope you'll come to that next week. The third next step, and really the one that I, I would ask you to consider participating in this in-service way, is consider how to deepen my commitment to the Lord and, and at OCC. Um, throughout this series, I've been encouraging everyone and I've been sharing that we are praying as a family and I'd encourage you, I've been encouraging you to pray and ask God, God, what would you want me to do? What would you want me to contribute as far as my time, my resources, my um, my service? You know, what, what could I do as we take these steps forward? And the, you see these... These are wooden stakes. Had different ideas of what we we're going to do, but these are wooden redwood stakes. So don't get a splinter, okay? Because these are splintery. But 
I want you to consider coming up and taking one of these and take a look at this next list here and consider deepening your commitment in these three areas. First off, time. You can go ahead and bring them all up. These are some of the different needs that we have. Time, resources, relationships. Maybe you consider writing something on this for yourself. This isn't for you to give to us, but there's Sharpies up here. There's all these stakes. And really, as a family unit or as an individual, to come up and say, you know what? I sense God wants me to invest more of my time. Maybe you want to write what that means, time, and write a phrase that will remind you. Take this with you home. Put it somewhere. Stake it somewhere where you will just be reminded to pray or just set it somewhere where you'll be reminded for the next month to pray for us as we move into this stage of church life. Just asking you to take it with you and just pray for a month about that commitment that you're deepening. And maybe it's resources, like consistency in giving. Maybe it's giving beyond the tithe to help us cover the cost of of stretching out. We're increasing our rental here, and so it's going to cost us more. People have been talking about the need for lighting and things like that because it gets dark, I think, in here. And we're doing some neat things that you'll see next week, some just some changes. And maybe it's relationships, investing yourself personally, sharing your faith. Whatever it is, if you've sensed that God is saying, yeah, I want me to, he wants me to do something. He's asking me to step out and trust him. So I'm going to go up there and do that. And as Cody, he's going to lead us through a few songs. And I just encourage you, if you'd like to come and do that, to do that. And then I'll close us.